Hi again, I'm Jack Lesenberry, and welcome or welcome back to Politics and Prejudices, the podcast. This is meant to be an evolution of the column I wrote, the radio commentaries I did for many years, so I hope you'll enjoy today's installment and keep listening or viewing. You can also catch up with both my writing and any essays and podcasts you may have missed on my website and blog, lessonberryinc.com. It's ink as an ink pen. Perhaps the best thing about being a journalist, by the way, is the fascinating people you meet and the stories you run into along the way, and I want to use these podcasts to bring some of them to you, as well as sometimes sharing my not always reverent views about them. So please settle back and listen, and before you ask, I indeed plan to end most of these podcasts with my signature essays. So listen, watch, I hope you enjoy, and again, please follow me and catch up on episodes you may have missed on my blog, LessonBerryInc.com. Now for today. If you haven't been held incommunicado for the last couple of months, you know that the House of Representatives has begun what they are calling an impeachment inquiry into President Donald Trump's behavior, specifically at first in regard to the Ukraine, I should just say Ukraine, where it's been alleged he tried to get that nation's president to try to get dirt on former Vice President Biden's son in return for aid. The majority of Americans now think that's justified, but there's still a long way to go. In all our nation's history, only two presidents have ever been impeached, and none has ever been convicted and removed from office. There's also a broad misunderstanding about how the process works, what impeachment is, and how it's supposed to go. And nobody knows how all this will play out. Joining me to help shed some light on it are three experts who know a whole lot more than I do about this. Larry Dubin is a longtime law professor and expert at legal ethics at the University of Detroit Mercy. Dave Dulio is professor and chair of political science at Oakland University. And Michael McDaniel is both a professor of constitutional law and an associate dean at Cooley Law School in Lansing. I should mention he's also a brigadier general. Dave Dulio has written 11 books. You've also worked on Capitol Hill. And Larry Dubin is sort of a famous institution in these parts legally, so we've got quite a panel. Gentlemen, thanks for making time for us today. Pleasure. Thank oh, you. Yeah, thanks for having us. I want to start by saying that in recent years, we've heard the word impeachment thrown out a lot. Larry, in the federal context, could you ta- start, and maybe Michael can chime in, what's that supposed to mean? You know, a lot of people, I think, misinterpret impeachment as meaning you're exiting someone from their public office. Right. When in fact, it really is bringing charges against uh, federal, certain federal officials, including the president. That's really our concentration right now. So it's a matter of uh, whether the House of Representatives believes that there is sufficient cause to uh, have the Senate consider uh, censuring and, and possibly eliminating uh, this particular president from his office. So, Michael McDaniel, would it be correct to think of impeachment as like an indictment in, Absol- in the civilian world? Yes, Jack, absolutely it would be. And and taking that further, at this point, we're still doing, in Trump's President Trump's case, we're still doing the investigation. Right. There has not yet been an indictment. There has not been articles of impeachment voted on by the House. So is, that, is, it, is it as if the House of Representatives were a grand jury? Yes, yes, but they're more than the grand jury. In the first stage, they're the grand jury. In the second stage, they're the prosecutors. And the Senate becomes the the jury. And, of course, the The chief justice presides. Dave Doolittle, you're a political scientist. You know the Constitution. The Constitution says impeachment is a remedy for high crimes and misdemeanors. What's that mean? It means whatever the House of Representatives wants it to mean. Ah. But uh, if we go back... There was, like a lot of things in the Constitution, great debate among the framers about what that actually meant. There, were, there was debate about whether or not this should even be part of the constitutional right. framework. Some argued that, hey, 
we have a chance to throw somebody out. It's called an election. And I think I think you'll see that kind of rhetoric ramp up here, given that we're right. given where we are in the calendar. But in terms of what high crimes and misdemeanors means, they did take it from British legal practice, which referred to crimes by public officials against the government, which really broadens things to, uh, again, really whatever the interpretation of those that are sitting in judgment want it to be. Right. Don't we? We can't forget that what comes before high crimes and misdemeanors is treason and bribery, which I would defer to my uh, lawyer friends as, as to, to, to talk about the definitions of those, because I think those are much clearer definitions. And and even in, in terms of if we interpret them today, they're probably narrower than what high crimes and misdemeanors would Well, be. as a civilian, I'm not sure that I agree. I agree about bribery, but Larry Dubin, is it clear what treason is? That word gets thrown around a lot. Well, th there is at least law that can interpret it. I think right. one thing that's that's interesting about uh, your your question is that this is an area where the Supreme Court, to a great extent, has not opined and interpreted the Constitution. You know, you go through the Constitution, and you can find many Supreme Court decisions that uh, can take issues and view them uh, on both right. sides of the issue. Here. You have impeachment, which really has never made its way to the Supreme Court for analysis. So a lot of these questions about whether uh, what, what does high crimes and misdemeanors mean under the law as interpreted by the Supreme Court has really not been uh, interpreted. I think most people believe it doesn't require uh, a violation of a specific crime, although that certainly helps uh, if there is to further uh, the discussion. The only thing I would say about that is, right, we did have Nixon v. U.S., right, that, that where the court said, we're not going to touch this. It's, this is a political right. process. This is not a legal process. So, uh, which really does leave it entirely in the hands of the Congress. And Professor McDaniel, Dean McDaniel, can a president be charged with a crime? There's some dispute oh, about that. Oh, absolutely. He can, and he should be. Should he, should he break the, the federal criminal laws? or frankly, the state criminal laws. The difference, I think, is that if you violate a federal criminal law because of the memo by the Office of Legal Counsel at Department of Justice, they're going to await the end of right. his tenure, uh, which I'm not sure it, uh, makes sense, frankly. But for state crimes, there, there would be no such thing, and you could have the spectacle of a sitting president being charged in, in, with state crimes. Right. But getting back to high crimes and misdemeanors, it sounds like it means crimes, but it does not. That phrase, high crimes and misdemeanors, existed at English common law as far back as the 1300s, and it was adopted with that same definition Doesn't by mean the bad founders. bad behavior, essentially? It means more than bad behavior. It has to be, as Dave said, it has to be an abuse of your office. Right. And th there, there was a trial of a, one unfortunate gentleman, Warren Hastings, the governor general of India, at the same right. time they were having the Constitutional Convention. So that same debate was going on in Parliament at the same time that our, our framers were debating it in Philadelphia. And when the framers talked about it, you know, we can look to some, some texts Federalist right. Papers, Federalist 65, Alexander, Alexander Hamilton wrote that impeachment was different than a criminal activity or even a civil activity because, quote, because it, it, it dealt with, quote, misconduct of public men, in other words, from the abuse or violation of some public trust. Now, nothing happens in Washington these days that is devoid of politics. And I was thinking, I was thinking that the two impeachments in our lifetimes, or some of our lifetimes, Nixon's, 
and the 1970s, Clinton's in 1998, 1999, those were both presidents in their second term. They couldn't run for re-election. Mm -hmm. Even if you look back to Andrew Johnson, the first president to be impeached in 1868, he wasn't going to be nominated by any party for anything anyway. But here you have a case where you have an impeachment simultaneously with an election campaign. Dave Dulio, does that change things? I don't think it should. I think that the Congress has a responsibility if, if they believe that there has been some act committed or series of acts committed that would justify impeachment, it shouldn't matter where the president is in in the term. It right. should, it's either, it, it either is impeachable or it's not. Right, but, but the, the fact is that unlike Canada, which just had a 40-day election campaign, our election campaigns run about two years. And uh, there's a principle in physics, the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, that says you can't observe a phenomenon without affecting it. Gentlemen, anybody want to, how is this a factor here? Well, I think, I think this will definitely impact the, 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 the next presidential election and probably Senate and House elections right. at the same time for that very reason. But I absolutely agree with my colleagues here that even if the president is not removed from office by the Senate, right. it is absolutely of the greatest importance to our Constitution to have this debate about what is an abuse of power. Right. to educate the public on that exactly. and to bring that forward. No president has ever been removed from office, right. but that doesn't mean we shouldn't have this debate to say what are the limits of, of presidential overreaching, to put it mildly. Presidential power and presidential behavior. Exactly. Larry? Well, I think one of the issues that um, is being discussed is with, I think, the impeachment, we can all agree, uh, it will occur. Um, I think that's certainly uh, the most likely thing to predict from the investigation. Uh, what should the charges be? Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, you can view it in a very strategic way. Let's get it over. Let's get it before the election. Or you can view it in a more historic way of a more complete statement of the charges so that it's not just a matter of trying to resolve it as quickly as possible, but for historic purposes, having a full display of potential charges that may be um, more uh, ab more abundant in nature um, for uh, the purposes that uh, the political purposes that are being expressed now by the, the House. Now, David Dulio, anybody, but correct me if I'm wrong. When the impeachment inquiry started, when Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, finally agreed to do this, the original thought they would keep this narrow. They would keep it on the phone call to the Ukrainian president because that's something everybody could understand. Now there's more of a desire, as you talked about, to broaden it. So where are we with that? Well, I'm not sure she really did anything, to tell you the truth, right? right. She came in and had this press conference uh, and said, we're going to start this formal, we're going to start this formal right. uh, inquiry. But there's been no vote. Right. There's been no action by the House of Representatives. And, and I'm not saying that they need to do that. But quoting from a Congressional Research Service report when the CRS is the Right. The research arm of the Congress, right? They say, regardless of what might instigate an inquiry into whether impeachment is warranted, there are normally three formal stages of congressional action. First, an impeachment inquiry is authorized, and this most often is accomplished through the adoption of a simple resolution directing the Judiciary Committee to investigate an official. None of that's happened, right? Uh, the, the House is engaged in work now under its general investigatory power. If they were to have this vote that would direct the Judiciary Committee, they would have 
more investigatory power, broader investigatory power, but they're not operating under that. And it's right. We would note that it's not the Judiciary Committee that's doing these investigations. It's others. And but I think that, you know, where we are, uh, the House is full steam ahead. And uh, and I think you're right that the that the most likely outcome is there's an impeachment of Donald Trump. But we don't really know because there's been no formal action outside of a press conference by by the House of Representatives. So nobody's on record. Right. Well, remember here, there is no Ken Starr. There is no there is, there is no, no special prosecutor. There is no special right. prosecutor. And I think that is why Nancy Pelosi directed oversight, intelligence, uh, other committees other than judiciary to do the investigation, saving judiciary committee to do exactly what Dave is saying, which is to make this resolution, which would therefore go to the which would be voted on by judiciary and then by the full house. And then the full house would open impeachment so proceedings. The other committees will take their work to the judiciary committee. And then they will figure out what to do from there. That seems That's like That's my the, expectation. Yeah. yeah. Now, let's talk about timetables because, again, we are approaching a political year. The first primary and the first day, Iowa caucuses are February 3rd. Is this still going to be going on then? It's now almost November. My guess is no. I think that they're going to be heavily influenced by that. Uh, and I think it's not so much that is around the same time you get into the primary craziness uh, for Congress as well. It's a little bit more diminished or lower key, I should say, than it is for the presidential elections. But I think Jack, it's going to hit right about then. Right. So, and so, does that mean you think it's going to be a House and Senate action? Oh, I don't. No, I think the House will House be concluded action. by the end of the year. That's my guess. But that means the Senate will be holding the trial during primary season in January, probably. Mm, or, yeah. Well, maybe, right? I mean, Mitch Fair. McConnell has said we have no choice but to do this. Right. But then he, he followed it up with. Well, he said it's a constitutional responsibility. When you look at the weight of history, I think they would feel they have to do. Oh, this is Don Ritchie. I, I'm sorry, um, Senate historian McConnell also said how long we're on it is a whole different matter. Right. Right. So they could yeah. he would do something, but maybe le very likely, at least as we're sitting here today, and everybody here knows that politics can change in an mm. instant. Right. right. But um, they could do it in couple of days, a couple of weeks. Right. Uh, it could be very quick. They could call for a vote. Someone, right away. They right. Could have Immediately. Somebody could right. call for a vote, and they could go forward and dismiss. So, But it all depends on what happens in the House. Absolutely. Remember with Nixon, your previous example, Jack, right. there was a tipping point. In that case, everybody's shocked to find out the conversations right. were taped. I'm like, Although he, right. even before that, they had voted articles. The Judiciary Committee yeah. had voted articles of impeachment, and some Republicans had decided reluctantly to support that. Then the smoking gun tape comes out, and then it's pretty unanimous. So it's interesting, the, yeah. the articles of impeachment, right? There have been articles of impeachment already introduced in, in this Congress and in, right. the, in the prior right. Congress. Uh, there have been resolutions introduced to do just what we talked about before, with the, to authorize the Judiciary Committee to do this investigation. Uh, and, and none of that has been voted on. Right. Well, people um, have introduced articles of impeachment for a lot well, of reasons. For all presidents. sorts of things. Yeah. And they, but, say, they pat them on the head and put them in the bowl. But, but I, you know, I think it's important for listeners to know, right, that, right. that this is not the first time this has been talked about. And, right. and your point's a good one. That, and it goes back to maybe your first point, that impeachment gets thrown around all the time. And right. articles get introduced, and they just sort of get shoved off to the side and, and die in committee. Larry Dillman, if I went, if I finish this podcast, go downstairs and go rob the bank across the street, the people arresting me are going to have absolutely no interest in whether I'm a Republican or a Democrat. Correct. But it seems very hard now to separate 
impeachment from partisan politics. Mm. Is that the way it's supposed to be? Well, I think it's built into the system to some extent, right. but I think that uh, if you have a situation where uh, impeachment clearly establishes that a president has abused power uh, or, or has committed some serious offense, then I think at least my understanding of the history uh, that went into the, uh, the clause in the Constitution, I, I think that there was some serious responsibility that was given to the Senate to go above politics uh, and view it in the best interest of the country. And I think that is an issue right now that we're seeing play out. Uh, uh, our politicians acting in accord with that sentiment that uh, I think uh, was the discussion that took That's place. That's a good point. In the Senate at that time, when the framers uh, wrote the Constitution, was not elected by popular vote. It was seen as being sort of a magisterial body. These people were selected by legislatures. but. What do you think about this? Well, I, I, I think that, as uh, has been said, that if it was, a, if it was an anonymous vote, they'd have the, the, you know, they'd have the 30 senators from the Republican Party that they need, or right. 20, excuse 20, me, 20 right. senators that right. they need from the Republican Party. So I think, there, I think it demonstrates that tension between their need to follow their, their, their base, their, their political base, and their need to act uh, as uh, statesmen for the country. Well, and that's a good point, too, right, because that that dynamic changes right. when direct election of senators comes along right. and, and right. it injects that right. it injects more politics into it than maybe the framers would have wanted or expected because they were appointed by state legislatures. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And of course there was still this idealistic thought, at least that George Washington had that they could avoid political parties, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> right. which but, lasted well, for his tenure. about a half. Yeah. 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 I think there's also uh, a, a, a sense here from uh, the Nixon administration, that when certain key Republicans went to him and right. said, it's going to happen. The jig's up. Yeah. Uh, and I think that there's always that possibility. And I'm wondering with whether the geopolitical uh, problems that exist now could, even though not give rise to specific allegations in terms of uh, charges, uh, might be uh, something that is going to have a greater influence politically on the senators than what might be their otherwise defense of the charges. Exactly, but you've got to remember, in 1974, there was no Fox News, there was the Fairness Doctrine, there was no Internet, and we were not, we were partisan, but not nearly as partisan most people think as now, or am I wrong, Dave Julio? No, I think you're absolutely right. The, the polarization that exists today compared to 1974 is night and day. Right. It was, the, in fact, the early 70s was a time when the uh, Congress was its least polarized, maybe in history, certainly in the last right. 100, 150 years. Uh, and, and that all changed, right? That all uh, went away, maybe early 90s. First election, presidential election I covered was 1976. And I remember the day after, the losers felt more like Michigan State fans after Michigan beat them than they did about now. It's sort of, it wasn't a kind of a jihad. Our team lost. That's completely changed now. Uh, for sure. And, 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 and there are circumstances around the 2016 election that, that or maybe caveats that, to apply to the right. 2016 election, but it's never been as bad. Right. Right. Day after election day, certainly day after inauguration day, 2020 had started. Right. And, and, for, and for congressional races, 2018 had started. So it's uh, it, now you it's, work it's for a, Republican Congressman on Capitol Hill. I work for a guy named J.C. Watts J. C. from Oklahoma. Watts, Oklahoma. Right. 
can you envision what Michael was talking about, a scenario when Republicans have 53 senators, if all the Democrats voted for a conviction, you have to get 20 Republicans to join them. Can you envision that happening? As we sit here today? Yeah. No. Uh, depending on what happens in the next several months? Right. Very possibly. Right. Really? I, mean, I think that I think that there's, and, and you're starting to, I, I don't know if you're starting to see cracks in the, uh, in the dike, but, right. but Mitt Romney comes out and makes a pretty, right. pretty damning statement right. about this. And, and I, and I would, I would imagine that there are more Republicans in the Senate that are wavering a little bit behind closed doors. Right. I, I think there was, there was also the McConnell uh, instance of being asked whether he had a certain conversation with the president uh, and uh, denying the fact that he had that conversation, which essentially meant that uh, the president lied when he said that uh, that McConnell had indicated that his uh, his viewing of what uh, Trump had indicated in the phone conversation, the the significant phone conversation, uh, was not true. And and I think that McConnell, who generally would back the uh, the president, it seems to me, uh, clearly didn't say, well, I gee, I don't remember, I, I you know. Perhaps we did, but he said I, we didn't have that conversation. So I think that 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 there are rumblings now, especially with the the situation in Turkey. I think that there are rumblings of a lot of Republicans who are senators who are really concerned about the lack of experience that this president has and the destruction that the that yes that that could. Uh, be faced by this country having a second term. And, and they have to deal with that one way or the other. Impulsivity is never a good trait for either a military leader or a diplomat. And you right. never see that. Right. You know, nations crave stability. And so I think these genuine concerns that Larry just mentioned are felt by a lot of Republican senators. They may be able to put up with some foolishness domestically, right. but I don't think they'll put up with it on foreign policy. And therefore, I think at some point it's going to be, it has to be like a Mitch McConnell or a Lindsey Graham to be this time's Everett Dirksen and, and see, go to the president. We did see, apparently, Republicans went to the president and said, no, you can't have the summit at your golf course. We're not going to put up with that. And he did back off. Well, and, and you know, the, the, the point about foreign policy is, is a really good one. And, and you see... A lot, frankly, a lot of Republicans express that concern about the moves internationally, and well, but but at the same time, Jack, you mentioned the election that's coming up, right? Where there's going to be Republican senators, I think, are going to be faced with two stark choices, right? Where okay, we do this and remove him, and depending upon who the Democratic nominee is, that could. Re that, they, uh, hmm. Republican senators could probably live with some of the Democrats running for president more than they could live with others running for president. Right. For instance, right, if, if Republican senators are faced with remove Donald Trump and that really throws 2020 into a, a, a tizzy uh, because Elizabeth Warren is the Democratic nominee, that's very different, I think, than if Joe Biden is the nominee. Right. And, who, and uh, I know Elizabeth Warren comes from the Senate, but Joe Biden is... A creature of the Senate, but to he turn would, that around, Democrats would be facing a President Pence who would have some kind of honeymoon. Period. Well, that, that's I that, think so. Too. That's entirely right. possible, I right? Think so, so too. and I don't think it's out of the question that Republican senators could look at this and go, "Okay, Pence, uh, Pence could be at the top of the ticket running against 
whomever, right? But the Republican base still is solidly with Donald Trump, solidly. And I wonder if Vice President Pence could attract the same kind of vote that, frankly, an impeached Donald Trump could from the Republican base. I think the first attack by ISIS in Europe, or, or God help us, in the United States, and all of a sudden you lose that base. Right. And that, and that can mm. be traced exactly back to where we are today. So I think that it a lot can happen in the next 12 months. As they, it's, a, it's a cliche, but it's also true right. in this case. Uh, I'm not even convinced we've got our, our political leader, our candidates lined up yet on either side. I'm convinced we haven't. Certainly not yeah. on the Democratic side. Uh, certainly. But to follow up on something what, they said, Jack, you got to you got to give us something on that. Who's who's? Uh, is there somebody that's not in the race that that you think could be? Well, I meant we don't have any clear idea who the nominee. Is okay, yeah, gotcha. Yeah. All right. Side. I thought you were going but, down uh, another, well, tra- although, another track. Although you know, if you, you have a deadlock <laughs> convention, anything could happen. Absolutely. Right? But but uh, they could pick somebody else. But to follow up on that, Donald Trump could be impeached, could be convicted. And it could still run for president in 2020, could he not? I don't believe that's the case. I mean, legally, I think they could. Is but, there any way he could not, unless they forbade him from doing so? Right, but they do have the authority under the Constitution to disqualify right. him from further office. Yeah. The Constitution right. says judgment in cases of impeachment shall not extend further than to removal right. of office and, dis- and disqualification to hold and enjoy any office of honor, trust, or profit right. under the United States. So I think right. I think that... If there's anything in the Constitution that's pretty clear, I think that's it. I just wonder how much strategy, political strategy, will take place with all of the potential uh, for uh, unexpected circumstances. Mm. Uh, We don't know how things are going to play out geopolitically. Right. Uh, And, you know, you wonder, did Gerald Ford uh, know that uh, his political career was going to come to an end when he... uh, you know, basically uh, did what he did to President uh, Nixon and giving him the pardon. You did know, he... I can answer something. I can answer you because I asked him. Okay. Because I went to his home in uh, 1995 and interviewed him about that. Yeah. And he told me that, in so many words, he hated Nixon's guts because Nixon had lied to him. And he, t- and he said, I was spending 35% of every day on Richard Nixon, and inflation was getting out of control, and I had to do this to get it, to get it off my back. And I said, Mr. President, did you think about demanding an, an admission of guilt? And he smiled at me, and he took his wallet. He took a piece of paper out of his wallet, and he handed it to me. He was a, I'm just in awe, and it's a, it's a dog-eared quote from a 1912 Supreme Court decision which said, the acceptance of a pardon is tantamount to an admission of guilt. Mm. And he told me, he said, yeah, I thought I might lose because of this, but I couldn't govern the country because of it. And of course, opinions come around. Even Teddy Kennedy, before he died, said, I was wrong. Pardoning Nixon was the right thing to do. That's right. See, and right, that's really interesting, right? Those are two very different individuals. You got right. President Ford and Senator Kennedy, right? right. I, mean, I suppose you could find two more diametrically opposed elected officials, but uh, easily, yeah. they, they both acted in a very statesmanlike manner. Right. And frankly, that's, that's in a lot of ways missing from our politics today. And the irony of the Nixon impeachment, the one there was sort of a national consensus that Nixon gave the, the country a sound foreign policy, especially apart from Vietnam. He never would have been impeached on foreign policy grounds. But um, another thing I want to ask is, I, I was, we were talking about this a little bit before, I was reading what one of the senators said at the time of the Andrew Johnson impeachment. I went almost, he was almost convicted by the Senate, single vote, happened in 1868. Even Bernie Sanders wasn't born yet. And he said... <laughs> The senator said um, that he had no use for Johnson, but he was voting against 
conviction because he feared a world where any time the Congress didn't like what the president did, they could impeach him and throw him out. Is that a legitimate worry, Michael McDaniel? I think in that case it was. But remember, that was a very different time. And, yes. And uh, Andrew Johnson, of course, was not able to rise uh, to statesmanlike stature. Uh, and so they sort of contrived this Tenure of Office Act violation. Right. And even the Tenure of Office Act was probably unconstitutional. It was. The Supreme Court ruled that <laughs> yeah, it was. So yeah. it's, you, know, you couldn't fire any cabinet member. Couldn't, yeah. yeah, couldn't dismiss. That, that, right. this, that the Senate could not right. have the authority to rule upon the dismissal of a cabinet member. In this case, Edwin Stanton, who had been appointed by Lincoln, which in itself probably makes it so a new right. president would have his own under the Constitution, as right. it clearly says. But I think it's limited to that circumstance. Uh, I, I do think that the, that the founders clearly intended high crimes and misdemeanors to mean what the English common law said it did and for it to be vague. There are a lot of vague phrases in the Constitution, and right. we need them there to allow so the Constitution elastic, right, to, to right. be elastic and adapt right. as necessary to the times. And we've had impeachment of only five federal officials, all judges, have been removed in 232 years or whatever it's been. So yeah. this is not a frequent remedy. Yeah, I, I think the uh, if you look at the other instances, recognizing that uh, that Nixon wasn't actually convicted, right. uh, and you're looking at the trial of, of Clinton, I think factually, if you get into the facts here, uh, where you're dealing not only with, with a lot of domestic issues, uh, the whole Mueller report, which, which I think has a lot of abusive power, uh, factual arguments that can be made. And I would hate to see them passed over if, uh, if there is an impeachment, because I think historically uh, that represents years of investigation uh, that the Republicans have been able to discard almost in its entirety. You know, I'm not, I am not a lawyer, but as sort of an amateur historian, I'm aware of no president of the United States who at some point hasn't lied. In some, in some, in some way, all of them. So now I'm going to ask a really hard question of everybody. I'll start with David, our political scientist. Based on what you know, based on your knowledge of the Constitution, does what Donald Trump has done has it risen to the level where he deserves impeachment and conviction? That's not a question for us, right? I mean, that that we're we are not in any position to make that to make that. My guess is that, that you, you, all of you are more educated than many members of Congress if you were there. But we've not been elected to the House of Representatives, True. right? That is that is, that is a, a very, very weighty decision that 435 members of the U.S. House of Representatives are going to have to make. And it's a, and I would also say, too, that boy, we're still in the data collection phase, if you will. Right. Um, so, boy, I, I mean, I don't know. I, based on what I've heard, I'd vote to impeach. If I was a member of the House, I would vote to impeach. Would you vote to convict if you were a member of the Senate? I don't know yet. I, again, we've only heard, the only thing we know is what's been leaked, and what's been leaked are the opening statements. So right. I can't say that. That's too much conjecture. And me. is that a problem, right? Is, is that a problem that, that, that the transparency, right? Republicans in the last couple of days have, have they've stormed a hearing uh, and demanded more transparency. Is that, is that something that's a problem, that this is all happening behind closed doors? Doesn't the public have a right to know what, what, sure, what is happening? Sure they do, Dave, but they don't have a right to know yet. And right. that's because we're still in the investigatory phase. We haven't, we haven't even gotten to the grand jury proceeding. We're doing what the special prosecutors should have done if there had been one. So we're not there yet. At this point, 
you know, the, the Republicans have the exact amount of time to question the witnesses that are brought in as the Democrats do. So that 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 clown car of, of storming the <laughs> skiff, besides offending me as a member of the military, where I would have been fired right. if I had ever taken a cell phone into a skiff, besides that, you know, no matter what your rank, besides that, it, it was just this foolish theater that's not necessary yet. We're going to have plenty of theater once the House convenes but it, their but hearings. It, it, right, it speaks to the political nature of this, right? Because that was a political move. Absolutely, and, and it's because their trainer, Donald Trump, said, you know, we need to be tougher on this. And they thought, oh, this is a good idea. We'll storm the skiff. <laughs> well, the public's going to be brought into it. They have to. The Democrats uh, know that, that ultimately the strategy here is that you've got to educate the public. That's why the Mueller yes. report has disappeared in spite of, in right. spite of some very... Uh, real substantive uh, concerns about what uh, the president has done. So there's got to be time for the public airing and bringing these witnesses back uh, for a public uh, review of what they have you to know, say. You know, the Mueller report was too long and too dry for the, for the public to read it. 448 pages. You well, know, the, the, the it, attorney general did not help on no, that. He, no, no, I agree. Yeah. And I also agree with what you said before. I mean, if you take Article 2 against Nixon, where they talked about obstruction of justice and then the different counts laid out, that's the same as Chapter 2 of the Mueller report. You could right, do the right. same thing easily, should they choose to. I don't know if it makes sense politically. I defer to David on that, whether to get into that can of worms, but they could do so easily, and I would suggest because it's it's uh, a clear setting, a clear pr uh, case, at least reasonable suspicion or probable cause or whatever you know level of, of review we want to use of obstruction of justice that it should be. But yeah. we're at a point now where where a bare majority, a small majority of the public is frankly, on the Democrat side, right? Mm -hmm. They uh, Maybe they've already done enough. Maybe there's enough, whether it's through leaks or through um, uh, discussion of sort of behavior, right, uh, and raising level of concern. Maybe they've already done enough to, to move forward politically. Well, let me bring art, current art, into this uh, subject. Um, there is a documentary that just came out on Roy Cohn. Right. And part of the documentary is Roy Cohn talking about his introduction to Trump. And this was Joe McCarthy's evil Amelance Grease. Yes. And who later became a mentor for Donald Trump. Yes, a mentor and a teacher right. about how to fight people who come after you. And hmm. when Roy Cohn came into the picture, it was the United States government who was suing right. uh, him and his father for racial discrimination in renting suing their Trump apartments. And Trump and his father. Yes, yeah. Trump and his father. And uh, so. This, if you understand Roy Cohn, you understand Trump, and you understand that whoever comes after him, whether I think whether it's even ultimately the Republicans, he's going to attack them. It's, it's, right. it's an automatic response. Oh, yeah. And that's what makes everything so unpredictable. He, is, he can become uh, his worst enemy just as he was his best uh, political friend. In the, and that, that part hasn't been shown yet. But I think it could easily happen where when, the, uh, when some of these uh, Republican senators start becoming concerned about the country, when country in their mind is overtaking their political interests, he'll turn on them. And that's, that can change the environment in, 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 in a very significant way in Washington. He already has to some extent, right? I mean, he, yeah. what it, the, he called the, those Republican senators that are uh, moving against him human scum or some... some yeah. 
Well, he's you already know, did to John McCain. It, uh, well, Donald Trump has never been afraid to go after anybody that that comes comes at him, right? To your point, and and I think that I think you're on the money that you know he would turn this into Trump versus everybody. Yeah. And, and what to, happens? What happens nationally if we ended up getting impeachment voted by a straight party line vote, two thirty five to two hundred? Everybody on their same, all Republicans on one side, all Democrats on the other. Is that a bad thing? I think it is. I, I think it. I think it makes politics right. a a cynical game, uh, a question of power, where power prevails over interest for the country, and uh, I think that would be very dangerous if that happened. I don't think it will happen because I think ultimately um, the evidence will either convince people, even diehard Republicans, that this is the wrong guy for the office in the interest of the country. We're seeing that right now on the evening news, every, every uh, evening, even, even through Fox to some extent, uh, that the events of what is occurring uh, over uh, in Syria uh, is, is just not good for this country. I think you'll end up seeing in the House some Democrats vote against and some Republicans vote for impeachment. Depending on their districts. Depending on their districts, right? I mean, and it because and, and and that just goes back to your to your point about politics over principle, right? And and that's and that's troubling. However, however, you could make a case that if a Democrat votes against the articles of impeachment, they would maybe simply be reflecting the attitude of the voters in their district or their constituents, and that's okay, right? If if right. that that is that is the, that would be those individuals. But is it okay? Using the, the delegate model of representation. Is it okay? Right. Are they supposed to be merely a mirror reflection of their constituents, or are they supposed to use their own independent judgment? It depends. Right? I, would, I would argue the opposite. I mean, everyone takes an oath to the Constitution to support and defend the Constitution. Right. That oath is contained in the Constitution for every federal and state official. Right. So I think that at that point, you become... Uh, you become bound by your duty to a higher power, and that power is the Constitution, not just your delegates. But at the same time, right, what that, those individuals have to interpret that vague language that's in there. And I, I, don't, I don't think that it's... Um, that elected officials are always interpreting things through a lens of their constituents, right? I don't think the, uh, the Democrats who won in Trump districts are that... Uh, should be that concerned uh, if they won their last election based upon based upon Trump's record at that time. I think that their districts are going to be reasonably safe for them. People like Alyssa Slotkin in Michigan. Yeah. That's exactly who I was thinking of. Right. You know, it's a district in which it's historically just been just a little bit more red than blue, and she had a convincing victory over Mike Bishop in the right. last election, and she was one of the first ones to say. I have to support impeachment. Well, I, I would say that she was pretty late to the game. Yeah, right. She was, she yeah. was pretty late. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but I would also say Trump carried that district by five points, right? right. In a in a presidential cycle, and it it I don't disagree with you, but but I think the the it's tough to compare electorally midterm electorates and presidential electorates. We we it's different. It, it's a it, but normally fundamentally more, different, right? But normally it's more different. It's more advantaged Democrats in a presidential year. And normally, I well, it depends on the composition of that district, right? right if there exactly. are, uh, if as Mark says, if there's more Republicans in that district than Democrats, well, Republicans got some. Uh, they have maybe more ground to make up, or they have more fodder 
for ground to make up where they could find some more votes, right? If it looks like things move in a way that conviction is likely, will Donald Trump resign? Can you picture Trump? No way. No way? No way. No. I'm not so sure. I mean, I, 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 he seems very scared of impeachment. Uh, he's overreacting, considering you know he ought to be, have people who can count votes for him, just like right. we did. So I think he is overreacting. I think he's very scared of that idea of losing. And I think that the alternative to that is to say, you know. I've done what I came to do, yes. and I don't yep. need to do it anymore. Exactly. Well, he's, he's got some criminal liability that awaits him. I don't know there's whether well, there's an advantage in letting right. the statute of limitations running and shooting for the next term. But he doesn't, he doesn't uh, hang it up easily. We, I think we can all anticipate that. I mean, there'd have to be a lot of pressure on him. Quick political question, starting with Dave. He's the expert. Donald Trump, if Donald Trump is out of office in January or February, is Mike Pence the Republican nominee? Well, you'd have to give him the advantage, but I think you'd see a number of Republicans Mitt Romney, run for the opportunity. Yeah. yeah. But, but it, and I, I wonder if it's even too late at that point, because even now, some states have canceled their Republican primaries because right. there, there really isn't one, right? I mean, okay. Save money. That's right. Uh, there's, there's a, the guy from Massachusetts, uh, Bill Weld, right? right? He's going to get not that many votes, right? <laughs> Even those Republican primaries that, that do happen. And then there's Mark Sandberg. So is, is, the, is, the process, is the process in place for that to occur? I don't know. I, I guess that a state could put together a, a primary uh, you package. You could amend your You could yeah. do that. But, but uh, is there an appetite to do that? Right. Is, is the, does Vice President Pence have the same allies that the president does in those states, I, I don't know. I, I think that that would, boy, if, if we think that it's a it's a, a whirlwind now or it's right. going to be crazy on the Democratic side, it would be even more ridiculous if that happened. Republicans have been mercenary before. I think if they were smart, they would they would dump Pence as well, and they would just tell him that and go with somebody like Nikki Haley. He was not a huge no. power in the party No, he before. was not. He right. was not. He was struggling as governor after the uh, Religious Freedom Restoration Act at the state level exactly. divided the state. So I think you go with somebody like Nikki Haley, who's seen as a very attractive Republican. Any other points, any other things about impeachment we need to touch on that the average person should know? Well, I, the one thing I would emphasize is even in those cases when there has been removal from office, and that's like five cases, right. all judges, which you right. said, Jack, the, the number of times in which they disqualified from future office is even less. Right. So exactly. it's not like this is the banishment of Donald Trump from the political sphere for all time. Well, even if he's not in office, he's going to be with us till his dying breath. He will tweet, yes. he will tweet uh, and, daily, if not uh, 50 times a day. He'll right? be on, he will be on cable TV all the time. <laughs> Outrageous final question, starting with you, Larry Dubin. One year from today, will Donald Trump be president of the United States? Give us a prediction. My, my prediction is that he will not. I think that the system is going to be tested. I think that uh, ultimately we have to wait for the evidence. We have to wait for the public to be fully apprised and the, uh, and the politicians in playing their uh, part in that determination. But I, I think that this, my sense, and I'm not, uh, you know, I, I'm not a political scientist, but I think this is probably the clearest case you're going to have for, for impeachment and conviction, uh, where you're now dealing with an international uh, uh, international allegations, domestic problems, a president who is a known liar and and does not tell the truth. 
I just think that ultimately the the interests of the country will prevail. Dave, based on what we know right here, right now, he will be. He will be. And finally, the tie vote, Michael <laughs> General and Professor Michael McDaniel. Despite what I said before uh, about he should resign, I don't think he will, and I think he'll leave the Republican Party as a smoldering ruin. Uh, he was willing to pull back on Doral because that's a clear emoluments clause violation for which he could be impeached. His golf course in the same Right. Race. That one's easy to do. Right. But the rest of these, unless the, the Democrats can make such a clear case that there is no room for a county co counter conspiracy theory to come out, as we've seen so many other times, then he's going to hang on as long as he can. And I think they'll end up playing this out over the next year, playing that rope-a-dope game, and as a result, the, 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 the legislative elections in both Congress and Senate are going to go against them. Hmm. Well, we'll just have to wait and see, but I can tell you what, I've learned a lot. I think that if anyone asked me if they want to learn about me mechanics of impeachment, I'd say not to toot my own horn, but they'll watch this podcast. Just thanks to you, gentlemen. Thank you for your time today. Thank well, that's you. About thank it. you, Jack. That's about it for now, except for my signature essay coming up. By the way, I want to thank everybody who's donated to help fund the production costs of this podcast, including Karen Kinebaum, another highly respected attorney in Detroit, Tracy Fritz from Royal Oak. If you, too, would like to help keep these podcasts going, I'd be thrilled if you'd send a contribution to me via Zing Media Group, 186 North Main Street in Plymouth, 48170, or mention me on Facebook or via my blog for more details. Also, again, please check out my blog, lessonburyinc.com and click the button and subscribe to both the blog and these podcasts. Listen to more episodes, tell your friends, and feel free to send me a message or suggestion or via email. This is Jack Lessonberry with the Politics and Prejudices podcast. See you soon. Here's a trick trivia question for you. Was Nixon impeached, convicted, and removed from office? The answer is actually yes. However, I'm not talking about Richard Nixon, but one Walter Nixon, a federal judge in Mississippi who was impeached, convicted, and removed in 1989. No president has ever been removed from office by the U.S. Senate for, as they famously put it, high crimes and misdemeanors, though two have been impeached. President Nixon certainly would have been impeached, convicted, and removed, but he quit before any of those things could happen. The only federal officials ever removed via the impeachment and conviction process have been a handful of judges, which is as it should be. When I was growing up, impeachment was seen much as we saw the hydrogen bomb, a good weapon to have just to make sure that you never had to use it. But then came Nixon and Watergate. I wasn't in my early 20s then. I remember the intense emotion with which both Republicans and Democrats watched the House Judiciary Committee's impeachment hearings. The voices of congressmen of both parties quavered and broke as they found themselves voting, almost unbelievably, to impeach a president. The only other time that it happened was in 1868, when the U.S. Senate came within a single vote of convicting and removing Andrew Johnson from office. Historians later almost unanimously agreed that removing Johnson would have been a terrible mistake, even though he was a weak president and an unlikable man. But as a lonely senator named Lyman Turnbull noted in John F. Kennedy's famous book, Profiles in Courage, if impeachment became a regular thing, no future president will be safe who happens to differ with the majority of the House and two-thirds of the Senate on any measure deemed by them important. That was enough to deter impeachment efforts for more than a century. Nixon, however, was so clearly guilty, he taped himself committing obstruction of justice, that impeachment became thinkable again. That led to the farce called the Bill, Peach, Bill Clinton impeachment, 
1998. Clinton had a history of irresponsible sexual behavior, and he'd lied about it, so Republicans impeached him because they had the votes to do so. They never came close to convicting him in the Senate, and it isn't clear whether Clinton or the Republicans were more damaged by all of this. What is clear is that it wasn't good for our nation and set a bad precedent. They never came. That doesn't mean, however, that impeachment may not be justified in the case of Donald J. Trump. To my way of thinking, his own notes of the July 25th call to Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky provides ample grounds for at least an impeachment inquiry, and there are many other troubling things as well. There's also this question to consider. If a president has clearly committed impeachable offenses, does the House have a right not to act? Two things seem very clear to those in the know. They are that first, the House is virtually certain to impeach the president, and second, the Senate will never convict him because at least 20 Republicans would have to desert the president. Both things may be true. They look like they're true now, but I think that we should also remember what another senator voting against his party said at the time of the Andrew Johnson impeachment. Say to my friends that I'm sworn to do impartial justice according to law and conscience, and I'll try to do it like an honest man. This is Jack Lesenberry. Thanks for listening. I'll see you again soon.